Girl Clothing is so much more than clothing. We are a movement. We have collectively decided to stop seeing each other as competition and instead seeing each other as sisters because we believe that is why we are held back as a gender and we are tired of it. So we are coming together, sharing our stories, our experience, strength, and hope to know that we are not alone and to hear that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and we are moving forward. It is 100% girl power. We know that if the women energy is not lifted up across this planet, we are doomed as a human race and we are here to change the game. So please help me welcome back our host, Tavra Lee. Welcome back to another episode of Girl Talk where we are really diving into issues that are hard but they're meaningful. And we're talking to women that have overcome all different types and kinds of challenges. And it's really about bravery and courage. And Shannon Callahan, thank you for being here. Of course. This is, this is very courageous of you to talk about your story um, because having an eating disorder, which is what we're going to talk about today, is not always easy to talk about. And I know that there are going to be a lot of amazing women that are listening to this podcast that are going to relate to what you have to say and what you've been through. So thank you. Of course. This is, I'm nervous because this is the first time I've ever talked about this with anyone really. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's not easy. And, and thank you. I mean, this, this is the definition of courage is being willing to do something like this and, and put it out there. And I know that it's really important that we share our stories because you're going to help so many other women who have been where, you know, are at where you have been. Sure. So sure. let's, let's start with the easy stuff. Like where, <laughs> where are you from? Where did you grow up? Give me all those details. I'm from Minnesota. I grew up in Minnesota. You actually just sounded like, you sound, you, I just heard the accent. So I spent 14 years in Canada. So I, okay. I detect like Canadian accents really well. And sometimes, sometimes that Minnesota accent sounds similar. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't, I don't hear it, but I get it every once in a while. And I, the way I say bag and things uh-huh. like that. Bag, so, yeah, say that again. Bag. Yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> It's the way you said Minnesota that was okay. Funny. Yeah. Okay, it'll come out more. I'm so sure. you, so you grew up there. I did. Yes. Okay. And when you finished high school, you went to law school, right? I did. Yeah. Well, yeah. how did you like? Did you always want to study law? Uh, not really. I, I was kind of intrigued and drawn to the criminal justice system when I was in high school. I had kind of teetered between thinking I wanted to be a sign language interpreter mm. or explore criminal justice. So I went to undergrad for a criminal justice degree and a minor in sociology. And while I was in, I think it was like my third year of undergrad, I was like, I don't really know what I want to do. I don't really want to be a probation officer. What's the next step? Kind of good at arguing. So maybe I'll look into law school. And I had a some a classmate that was studying for the law school admissions test as well. And he's like, just do it. Just try it. So I did. And I went from high school to undergrad to law school, wow. back to back. Wow. How many years of school is that altogether? Seven. Seven total. After high school. <clears throat> After high school. Yeah, four so years. Like, that is a lot of school. Four years for a bachelor's degree and then three years for law school. You literally look like you're still 20, so I don't know how you pull that off, but you do. <laughs> I'm still in my 20s. I've got one year left. <laughs> well, you look amazing for thank 29. <laughs> thank you. And for surviving law school. Oh, yeah. Thank you. And I mean, going to eating disorder treatment while I was in law school. Oh, my goodness. So... Okay, so let's let's start at the beginning. How, mm-hmm. What what is some of the biggest stressors you had in your life before you even got to law school? Because I have to st- we have to start there. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was 
necessarily stressors, but it kind of started with like the relationship that I, ha- I have with my mother. Some people have mothers who want to be their friends and have a nurturing relationship and others have mothers who are just their parent, the figurehead and kind of the person that tells you what you can and can't do and then leaves it, leaves it at that. My mother is one of those. Mm. Not never was she ever like nurturing. She's a very nurturing grandmother. Like, I mean, hands down. Yeah. You have a child? No, my, my sister your, does. Your sister does. I was yep. going to say, okay. Yep. okay and that, so and it, it doesn't surprise me because her grandma was like that as well. I have to say, it's it's this funny thing. It skips a generation. It's yes. like once people become a grandparent, they get all soft and squishy if they yep. weren't soft and squishy as parents. Oh my gosh, yeah. And my oh. mom's so, she's young. She's 58. She's so old school mm. in terms of just her beliefs and mental illness doesn't exist. It's all in your head. I've heard that. But what better way to bond with your mom when she's paying attention to you, when she wants to go on a diet with you. Okay. Started at 11. Wow. When I was 11 years, my mom's been, since I've remember, she's kind of been the like fad dieter, obsessing with weight and things like that. So it always kind of. And did she struggle with her weight? Yeah. Yeah. But I think for her, I think it's more perception than it really actually is. From the outside looking in, it does. She doesn't appear as someone who struggles with her weight. I think it for her, it's just a mindset, mind frame. Uh, and we started on the Atkins diet together when I was 11 years old, and that was our bonding thing. Counting carbs was our bonding thing. It's what we did together, and all of that. That's like really, truly the time where I felt my mom paid attention to me most was and and really like my relationship with my mom is better if I'm losing weight and her still now today still today yes I mean she'll I mean she'll bring it up like oh you look like you've lost weight Mm -hmm. still today even after I've kind of been forthcoming with her about like this is the this is kind of the process I was in and anytime I had tried to address it with her and talk to her about the eating disorder the I met with resistance always because my mom's also one of those people that doesn't believe in mental illness. Oh, she and, just thinks she just need to fix it. Just yeah. put in the work and fix yeah. it. There's no excuse kind of. Right, right. Yeah. That it's And that's what I that's what I had heard from her too is, and I had tried to talk to her about it one day and I was like, mom, like, you know, she's like, did your mother screw you up so bad that you had to go through all this therapy and all this? And I was like, mom, the truth is, did you say yes? Yeah. I said, you know, I said an 11 year old can't make an informed decision on their own weight and what isn't, isn't healthy. Mm. And I said, so it's, and she's like, no, you chose to go on that diet. You chose. And I said, 11 year old cannot make that choice at all. So it started out with the Atkins diet and I had lost a lot of weight and my relationship with my mom improved drastically because, you know, she was, this was her, the product that she created is this, you know, newly, you know, slim down child who she can bond with by eating McDonald's chicken patties without the bun and counting, you know, net carbohydrates. It was like, you know, our favorite pastime to do that. And then I that was in sixth grade. So I'm in sixth grade. So like, I have to just ask, sure. like, so like, did stuff go along with that? When you say bonding, like, did that mean you would shop together then? And right, you'd celebrate size together. Yep. Right. Yep. Yeah. We'd go all, shopping. All very unhealthy ways. Right. Yeah. And we'd go shopping and it would be our thing to like, mm. you know, count our carbs together and 
by Atkins bars and, you know, how delicious that processed stuff is. And, and then, so I shed the weight a lot, but when I was in elementary school, it was more of a non-traditional nowadays that you have middle school, but I went to Forest Lake. So it was kindergarten through sixth grade for elementary school. So I was 11 years old in sixth grade in elementary school on a diet. (laughs) And then I lost the weight and then I switched schools. And it was like this new atmosphere, new environment. And I slowly, gradually started gaining the weight back. And at that point, I still had no, at no point in my life can I recall a time where I had been given an appropriate relationship, guidance with, you know, on a relationship with food. Because I never saw my mom have one. My mom is to this day, hard and fast rules. Like her plate has to be a certain size and she can't do this or that. She comes to my house and I have paper plates cause you know, I'm sophisticated and I use paper plates yeah, and you're busy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she's like, Oh, that plate is just far too big. I'm like, just shut up and eat the, the food on the plate. Well, just use <laughs> half the plate if it's yeah, too big. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I don't even, I don't know what at that point really led to the downward spiral, I guess I would say for that stage of my eating disorder, because I've been through every, I could have had every eating disorder diagnosis that exists, anorexia, bulimia, binge eating, had them all. I've never been, I was not, never formally diagnosed until I decided to go to a treatment program at the Emily program. And I was diagnosed with binge eating disorder. And that was when I was in law school. But prior to that, it started out with the kind of the restrictive dieting. And then it gradually blossomed into complete restriction. So I would eat one meal a day. And I lost so much weight. I would play softball. I lost so much weight. I had no body strength whatsoever. And the other adults in my life would punish me for not eating, but still not give me good guidance on... Like, what do you mean punish you for not eating? So so my softball team, uh, we had traveled for softball and we were at... I remember this like it was yesterday. We were at Subway and I refused to have Subway. I was like, nope, I'm not eating this. This is not my one meal a day. This is too early in the day and I'm not going to eat. And the response I got from the adults were then you're not going to play softball. If you don't eat, you don't get to play. But wait, you're a grown adult. Well, at that time I was 13. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was, I thought this was when you were an adult. I was oh. going to say, wait a minute here. <laughs> no, okay. No, so no. at 13. Yeah. Yeah. Because were people in the external <clears throat> part of your life aware of what was going on? I think, I think they were aware, but no one really knew how to approach it. I think was part of the problem where, I don't know, I don't come from a very nurturing family. So any time there was a a way to address my physical appearance, it was, you look so skinny, you look like a matchstick and you look like I had red hair. So you're so skinny, you look like a matchstick, you look dead, you look like the skeleton from a night before Christmas. It would be like the I don't know, maybe they thought that tough love would be the wake-up call that I needed as a 13-year-old to be like, yeah, you know what? I know how to eat, you know, to 
feed my body and right. give it and the nurture appropriate your growth at your right. age, right. with what you need for brain development. Uh, I mean, right. All of these things matter a lot when you're 13. Right. I mean, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I never had that, you know, adult to come in and say, we've got to kind of address this and fix this. And then in eighth grade, I had a couple girlfriends who reported me to the principal's office. And then for what? For being too skinny and not eating. Okay, so I have a few questions. Yep. Where was your dad? My dad was a man that lived in my house. So I, and it's weird being back in Vegas because um, my dad died when I was 15, but when I was 13, he moved to Vegas. So he lived a whole nother life that I did not know. So it's strange being mm. here knowing that like, I think he lived like a couple miles out of the strip. Not even knowing yet. So the relationship I had with my dad was kind of difficult since birth because I have a sister and I have a half brother too, but he was never really around and he's older. But my sister and I are 12 months and three weeks apart. She was a preemie. She's older than me. And when my mom had me, she had a pulmonary embolism, which led to her being in the hospital for a month. Now, this isn't something my mom has ever told me directly, but I overheard her on the phone with a family friend. When I was 19, this is the first time I've heard this. And what she had explained to this person was that when I was born, my mom was in the hospital for like a month. That left my dad having to take care of a one-year-old and a newborn, and he resented me for it. So he never wanted me, was really what it came down to. So anytime, and I, and these aren't memories that I'm aware of. I kind of know that I had a, just an odd, kind of a, he, he was, so, I mean, he kept his distance from me right. my whole you life. You felt, you intuitively felt that yeah. there was an issue between, with, that he had an issue with you. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't know like where it stemmed from until right. I overheard this. And it was, he resented me because he had to take care of the two of us as babies and my mom, your mom was in around. the hospital. Right, yeah. right. So then my mom went on to explain to this person that if my brother and my sister were playing like roughhousing with my dad and I tried to join in, he would push me away and not let me join mm. in. So he never let me get close to him either. He was also physically abusive. So. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm throwing a lot at you now. I mean, well, I just want to, I just want to ask you, I mean, this is, this is years later and we're going to continue all of that on, cause I want to hear the rest of your story, mm-hmm. but I have to ask you, like, do you realize that none of those issues have anything to do with you? Yes. Like you, Shannon, are spectacular. Thank you. I mean, you shine bright, you are smart, you are so many wonderful things and all of those things as a child had absolutely nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're, I, I don't know if you're, is your mom still alive? Yep. Okay. So if you're listening, mom, Hey mom, <laughs> Hey, Hey, I, you know, you produced a wonderful daughter, but you got some issues that you need to fix on your own. And I'm glad Shannon, that you have been able to step outside of that and work on you in the silo outside of that. Yeah. And I mean, it wasn't without a lot of work. I'm still, I still see the same therapist I had at the Emily program. So we're going on five years. Um, and I texted her today and I was like, Oh, I forgot to tell you about this podcast I'm doing. (laughs) And she's like, you're a rock star. Cause she knows how she knows that I, I just, there's nothing about vulnerability that I can handle 
for some reason. I think it's because I related a lot to weakness, but it's such the opposite of that. Yeah. And I'm still learning. And you're but strong. You are, you are way stronger than, than you give yourself credit <laughs> you, for. Yeah. But I had to, I had to practice a lot of detachment and I, I am now reading for the second time a book called Codependency No More. Mm-hmm. I had read that in law school. So just practicing that it's not me, it's them. I mean, I, the di- the mental health diagnoses that I have run the gamut of things, attachment disorder, PTSD, a mm. lot trauma, lots of trauma, um, and the eating disorder, of course, but it was a lot. So let's talk about the eating disorder. Yeah. So what, it, so, okay, let's go back to your friend reported you to the principal because you were too skinny. Yep. You weren't purging at that point, were you? I was just not eating. You were just not, but there was no anorexia, like there was no actually forcing yourself to throw up food. Not at that point. But no. you, you, but you were starving yourself pretty yes. much. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I was starving myself. And that was the, the only time where my mom paid a little bit of attention. So she brought me to the doctor's office. They weighed me and they said, oh, you're good. There's nothing wrong with her. She's in, you know, fine weight. Then we move on from it. So right around, so this was eighth grade. And then when I went into ninth grade, I switched schools because I had so many problems at the one school where I would sit with a tray of food in front of me at lunch and people would like stick their fingers down their throats, like pretending that they were throwing up to ask me if I was going to go throw up my food later. Because you were skinny. That's, yes. But this is yep. why people thought, but you were skinny because you were starving yourself. Yes. You, were, you were, were in a sick place with food. Yeah. And I had, yeah. I mean, I've always been my physical build has always been thicker. So when I'm at a low weight and I'm skinny, it's, it looks, it, I looked unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah. I looked sick. I did. Um, so there's no denying that there was an actual health issue that was going on with me. But then I, so I switched schools. Some of the people that I went to school with also transferred schools. Mm -hmm. So I had the same problem and it got to the point where I had to switch schools again. Now in Forest, when I went to Forest Lake, you do K through six, seventh through ninth, and then high school is 10th through 12th. I switched schools halfway in between ninth grade and I went from junior high school to high school in Blaine, mm. which is where my stepdad, at the time my parents divorced when I was 13, my mom started dating my stepdad. This is where some of my abandonment issues come. She kind of just left us to fend for ourselves and would gallivant the weekends with him. And anytime I would bring it up, it's because I'm jealous of her and her relationship and not because I need a mother. (laughs) I need a parent. Um, And so it, that still, still around that time I was not eating at all. And then as the moment I switched schools, I was like, you know, new fresh start freedom but not having a healthy relationship with food, I knew nothing. I knew nothing other than just binge, and but it was binging and purging at that time. So I would eat. Gosh, these—they're like the what are the cream-filled cup ho hos? My stepdad—that's his thing. He loves those. And my mom would. She's a type of parent that would buy like kudos bars. This is one thing. Kudos bars. My mom would buy them and would say that just because it's here doesn't mean you get to eat it. So we had food in our house that I wasn't allowed to eat 
So what would happen is when my mom was looking the other way, I would eat an entire box of kudos bars and then hide it somewhere in the house so she couldn't see it. And anytime I got caught doing that, I got, you know, just verbally abused yeah, for the horrible right. decision. Punished, yeah. Right, right. So right as if you weren't already punishing yourself. Uh, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So that so that transitioned into binging and purging. It would and it wasn't I don't ever recall like maybe a handful of times like making myself throw up, but I would eat enough to the point where I knew I was going to throw it up right away. So you didn't, you didn't have to like put your finger down your throat. Basically your body was rejecting it. Yep. And I, and I, I, maybe there was, might've been a handful of times where I actually made myself throw up and then laxatives came in Mm -hmm. and name a diet pill. I've probably taken it. Any diet pill I could get my hands on, I would, I'd I'd take it because it was, you know, this new quick way to lose weight. So I started gaining weight back in high school, but I started gaining weight to a point where I looked healthy and maybe felt healthy, but it was not, it was still an unhealthy relationship with food. So if I had overeaten one day, my go-to thing would be to take a permanent marker and write no food all over my body in discrete areas that people wouldn't see. So my legs, my stomach, my wrists, anything I could cover up, no food and permanent marker was all over my body. So I would binge and then I would starve myself for three days. I was also an over-exerciser. So if I binged, I exercised, I those ab like crunch machines they used to have, they used to make, I had one. I would sit in front of the TV for three hours using it. Just thinking like, maybe if I do enough of these, like I'll lose the weight from the kudos bars I ate and things like that. And so then I think maybe last year of high school, I was back to the kind of crash dieting and I was doing um, the cleanses, the liquid cleanses. There was this uh, GNC used to sell this like bottle of like thick like citrus like liquid and you mix it with water and that's all you drink for like days on end so I had done that and that kind of transitioned into just crash dieting fad dieting so how many years did all so this was just an up and a down you were trying everything to to what have control feel like I could be in control of something and that's the thing that's, I think that's one of the most common misconceptions about people who have binge eating disorders. It's not, we're out of control and we can't, you know, stop eating. It's, there are so many things in our lives we don't have control of. And we try to take different, I mean, food is something that we can control in this sense. So I had from probably my entire, from the last year of high school up until I think I graduated undergrad, I was in that kind of limbo of mm. crash dieting and fad dieting and trying to maintain and lose weight and get these goals and all this stuff. And, and did you have relationships in your life at that time that knew that this was happening? Because how, I mean, I just, what, did you have a support system outside of your family at that point? No. I mean, I have my fiance and I have been together for nine years now and he, he didn't get it. He still doesn't get it. He didn't understand it. He was kind of the same as everyone else. Really hard on me. Like something's wrong with you and not, but not know how to be supportive. Just a 
criticize and say right. that didn't, he didn't understand what the problem right, was. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I, he still doesn't kind of grasp or grasp or comprehend like the relationship with food is is a significant issue. Like there are still things that I ask him not to do because it could trigger a relapse because I'm in recovery. Mm -hmm. I've been in recovery since January of 2015, but I have to work my ass off every single day to make sure that I don't go revert back to certain discipline things. Like I, even this week I was, I missed the gym a couple of days and I was like, you know what? I'm going to grow live. I'm not going to have my powerlifting gym. I think I'm going to have to go to the gym in the morning on Thursday and in the evening on Thursday. Double up because I missed. I did not do it. But I had to do everything in my power to talk myself out of doing that because that is one, that was one of my punishments as part of my eating disorder. Mm. And so that limbo dieting lasted up until law school. And then I started having gastrointestinal issues anytime I ate food. And I didn't know what it was, so I went to a specialist, and I found out that I had celiac disease. Mm. The first thought in my mind was, you know what? It would be great if I had celiac disease because the moment I can't have gluten, I'm going to lose all this weight. And people use it as a fad diet because they think that's, that's yeah, going to happen. Right. But it wasn't the case. It was, I mean, that was like the kickstart to my binge eating disorder. Anything I could get my, it was like I was never going to have good food ever again. That I was never going to have a cupcake ever again because the only good cupcakes have, have gluten, gluten in them. Yeah. So I would, I had a, an ongoing relationship with Smashburger when I was in law school. And it was an unhealthy relationship because I would go there and I would order two meals. And I would eat one in the car on my way home and get home and pretend as if I never ate one. So I was eating two meals in one sitting and it was like, this food is so good. It, it's, there's a gluten-free bun. It's so good. I'm never, ever going to have it ever again because this, you know, glutinous food was taken away from me. So it was another way to kind of control my relationship with food and say that, you know, I can, I'm never, it was black and white thinking mm -hmm. is really what it was. I can have it all or I can have none of it. Yeah. There's no in between. Right. And I think that that's, that must be a huge part of where you're at today because moderation in everything is so important. And when you say that, because I, th I honestly will tell you that I don't eat Smashburger very often because of course it's not good for me. And you know, I'm a, you know, I'm an athlete and I'm training in strongman. I have a competition in four weeks and, um, I don't, I don't normally eat it, but when I go to Smashburger, I eat two meals mm -hmm. openly, willingly, happily enjoy it. Yeah. Right. And then when I, and then when I walk out the door, I, I feel good about it because I don't eat it all the time. Yeah. And I know that I eat regularly through the week, but when I think about what you're saying, if I didn't, if I ate that and felt bad about it, that's a whole different story. Like feeling yeah. bad about something that you have earned to be able to have on in moderation. Right. Right. That and feeling I can, I can actually just feel it for you. That, that must be so hard. Yeah. Yeah. And when you don't know, when you don't know what balance is, yeah. when you only know I can have it all or I can't have any of it, you're, you don't know what to do. You don't know when to stop. So how did you start therapy? Like, when did you start getting into therapy? Where, where did the needle start to move in the right direction? So 
Interestingly enough, I there were actually a handful of people I went to law school with that were in treatment at the Emily program. But it it started so I joined a gym and it was a kickboxing gym. And I had all the time I would come and I she noticed it, the trainer, the owner of the gym. I would go in the morning, I would go in the evening. That was I would over exercise. And I would come in all the time and I would say, you know, if I could just I, I don't know how to, you know, what to do for weight loss. Can you help me? And she would be like, giving me ideas and tips, whatever. And then I would come back and say, well, nothing's working. I don't know what to do. After a while, she started to kind of catch on to some, some things. And she, at one point said to me, she's like, we need to have a talk. And this was like probably the first relationship I had that someone picked up on there's something going on that's deeper than yeah. I want to lose weight. Help me figure out how to do that versus, you know, knowing that it's, it's more than that because eating disorders are mental illnesses. I mean, it's the number one. It, I think the death rate for eating disorders and mental illness, it's the highest number in terms of the number of deaths related to right. this mental illness. And so she had at one point, she like sat me down and she's like, Shannon, I think you need to get, this is beyond the help that I can give you. It's deeper than this. And that kind she of recognized it wasn't about weight loss. Right. Yeah. Right. And that started the ball rolling at the same time. I had known that one of, I was a student attorney with the appellate public defender's office in Minnesota, my supervising attorney, she was in therapy at the Emily program and the Emily program is a wonderful. Mm. They're just really the best, greatest experience I've, I could have ever done for myself and not just around food, but around relationships and boundaries and body image and all of that. So I had thought about looking into that and I didn't, I did some sort of consultation and mm. then I said, you know what? Therapy is not going to be enough. I heard about, they had, they had an intensive outpatient program that I had heard about. And I said, I want to do that. Get me on the list. You for that. knew you were, oh, yeah. you, you, it sounds to me, honestly, like you were nearing the end of your ability to endure with what was going on and you knew you needed help fast. Oh yeah. Oh Yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So I started out with a dietitian and my current therapist and really with someone who has a binge eating disorder, the main focus is intuitive eating. So we, some oftentimes so that we had groups and we had a binge eating group or an NOS, not otherwise specified group. And then there was an anorexia and bulimia group. And on occasion, we would come together as a group and do cognitive behavioral therapy and things like mm -hmm. that. And the difference really, the huge difference between the food for that group versus the food for our group is that their, their group had prescriptive eating. So they were told three grains, three proteins, two vegetables, two fruits, and a dessert. Like that is what they had to do. And they had to meet that. For, for the binge eating disorder group, it was you don't know how to eat. You don't know how to, you know, what a healthy relationship was right. with food. You don't know when to stop. Right. So, I mean, so what we would have is we would have group sessions and then we would have therapeutic meals and our therapeutic meals were co consisted of a nutritionist, dietitian, and a counselor. 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, this was the greatest practice of, I've never heard of mindfulness before. Oh. It's the greatest practice of mindfulness. And I still do this to oh, date. I love it. And they, there were challenges too. Like there was one day where, so we had a rule. We, we couldn't go into the kitchen. There was one day they took forks away from all of us because of food rules. So like, you can't have a fork. You have to eat this with your hands. And we're going to talk about how uncomfortable it, un- uncomfortable it is. But they had a scale for us. And it was, we're going to sit down. We're going to put our hands in our laps and our feet on the floor. And we're just going to be, you know, focused and in tune to our bodies and our body's needs. Mm-hmm. So from negative one to negative five, how hungry are you? And then we checked in halfway through the meal and it was okay from zero to five. How full are you? Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. And they did this thing called eating in the round. So you take a bite of your dessert, you take a bite of your sandwich and a bite of your side and you ate in the round. Oh my goodness. And you ate until you were full and you checked in with your body and there's an apple test. So when you check in with your body to decide if if your body's needs have been met, you ask yourself, would I eat an apple? Because an apple is one of the most uh, kind of uh, unbiased foods, I guess. It's the neutral food. So you don't love them, but you'll eat them. If you won't eat an apple, then your body, then your needs have been met. So we focused really on that. We did this book called Don't Diet, Live It. And the chapter I will forever remember is rainbow thinking because it, it teaches you to think outside of the box. I can, I, you know, black and white, I can't have any. I can have all of it. Well, rainbow thinking is I can have some of it and it's still going to be there another time. Mm. And my biggest challenge with having celiac disease is I can't have that food. So, you know, my life sucks and I don't get to have good food. The day that changed everything, I walked out of the room, I grabbed a piece of pizza that had gluten in it and I sat it on the table and in front of me and I had my, my gluten-free pizza and I was, that's not going to control my thought process anymore. The food that I have is what it is. It's not what it isn't. Mm. It is nutrition for my body. And it's it will, fuel. Yeah, fuel. Yeah. It's what I need, what my body needs yeah. to make sure that I can function and have appropriate nutrition. That really just from that day forward changed everything. So I, I think... Shannon, everything you've just shared is so huge. And thank you, first of all. I'm going to say it again because I know that this is not easy for you to talk about. This is not easy for some people to hear. Sure. It's yeah. it's difficult. And I know that having a healthy relationship with food is life-changing. And um, I know this is something you'll be recovering from for a long time. Yeah. yeah. And I appreciate you sharing with others. I'm going to put the uh, a link in the show notes to the Emily Center, you said it's called? Emily Program. Emily yep. Program. I'm going to put yep. it in the show notes because I think that if somebody needs help and they're listening to this, we want them to find a program like that in their area. Right. And the best right. I can do is list that program because you have a personal experience with it and it will help somebody else if they want more information. Um, but not only to go through what you went through as a child and your dad leaving and the passing of your dad and mm-hmm. everything that you faced and the fact that you still killed it at law school. And <laughs> I mean, yeah, you have you. simultaneously struggled and, and overcome yeah. and, and kicked butt at the same time. That's pretty amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And, and I mean, this is the first time I've publicly shared this story, but I think it's important too, because 
one of the things that someone said to me was, you look so put together. I just can't even believe that you're here for eating disorder treatment. And it's everybody's story and journey is different, completely different. But there's something that brings us all together and we can help each other heal from it and overcome and realize that it's not this horrible stigma, something that we shouldn't talk about. But the more we talk about it, the more we bring awareness to it, the more we can help each other grow and heal and all be on the same path to recovery that we're going to continue to be on for the rest of our lives. I'm, I'm glad that I just kind of jumped right into the deep end and and you just did that. You just yeah. shared this for everybody else. So let me ask you one final question. Sure. If somebody is listening right now and they are in the midst of any type of unhealthy relationship with food, and I don't just mean a, a normal unhealthy relationship with food. No, I don't know what normal is, but I, I mean a serious unhealthy relationship with food. Where do you suggest they start to get help? What's the first step that they need to do? I think the first step is within themselves to not be ashamed Mm. because the moment someone feels shame, that is the moment that they are going to do everything in their power to talk themselves out of getting, getting help Uh, with, uh, there are a lot of programs that really, I mean, there's limited programs for eating disorder treatment and that's unfortunate, but Uh, The one thing I would say is to seek out a mental health therapist that specializes in food related issues Mm. that can help give good guidance on that. And if nothing else, the I mean, the most life changing thing I had was that book. Don't diet, live it. I'll put the link in the show notes as well. It, it, it's a, it's a journal. So Mm. it carries you out throughout your recovery process and teaches you that you can think a different way. And it's just, it's really, it comes down to don't live in shame, Mm. just jump and do it because the moment you heal and you're recovered, you'll come out of it. We'll all come out of it at some point, but ask for help. That's the biggest thing. You know, you're amazing, Shannon. Thank Thank you so much. And for those of you listening, this is Girl Talk. And wherever you're listening, make sure you give us a rating and leave us a comment. But I have to say, you know, this is important stuff that we're talking about. These are not small issues. They're difficult. And I am so grateful for women like Shannon that are, you know, bringing forward messages that are really going to be transformative to so many of you and my link and my information will be in the show notes and if you haven't been to to girl live before and you want to find out more about the girl community it's g-r-r-r-l.com just girl.com go check out the clothes check out the community this is a a life-changing amazing group of women so thank you shannon and we will be back soon thank you This is Courtney Olson thanking you for joining us. If you want to keep up with us and join us some more, find us on our website at girl.com. That is G-R-R-R-L-G-R-R-R-L.com. You can find our newsletter on there to sign up for that and stay in the now. Or find us on our Instagram at girl underscore clothing. That's girl underscore clothing. And remember, you are enough.